joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, Fandom. Welcome, everyone, to episode six. We're going to start today's episode with Flame's interview with Sir Sapling, making our first interview with an artist on the pod. And we're excited to have one of Sap's favorite artists, Hundred Thousands, also known as HT, serving as our cover artist for the episode. Thanks, HT. And then Ferret and I are going to chat a little bit about why and how humans tell stories before we wrap it all up with minis. In this week's minis, we'll hear from some of you in our community talk segment, and then we'll pivot to only more love with your events forecast. So let's get started. Podcast land. This is Flame here, and I am here with screen name Sir Sapling, but who we all affectionately refer to as Sap. Sap, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, it's lovely to join you. Uh, so we're going to get this started the same way we start every interview here on our little pod. I'd love to hear your fandom origin story. So it started a long time ago. I think we're at six years now, around 2014. I I was in a, a lot of little fandoms before, never really sort of participated because I was 15 and full of nervous anxiety about anything. But through an artist called Lamonte, I was looking at their work for another fandom, found a bit of their Steve Tony fandom, just kind of fell in head first. Lots of fan art and fix and then into the films, which I think was around AOU. So I started controversially. Um, but I didn't end up like really making any work till 2017 because I just lurked relentlessly. And it was right before I turned 18, I ended up in some, which I don't think anybody knew at the time, which was probably good because nobody would have spoken to me any otherwise. And I ended up with some, in some like AA live streams they were doing at the time with Sab and she sort of just poked me into other things. Like the old um, bringing food to the lab server. And from that point, I just started relentlessly flirting with ferret once i hit 18 and ashes until they just sort of let me stay with them which i'm very thankful for they are very hospitable our ferret and ashes that's for sure so i mean they weren't famous at the time so it was easier to flirt oh well yeah the intimidation factor is a little bit harder for all the rest of us now so i'm glad you got in on the ground level oh and i started with naughty fan art so you know you win people over very easily with that yeah that's a, that's a way to a lot of our hearts i'm not gonna lie it works. It works every time. <laughs> so did you start with, like you said, with the movies with Ultron, like did you start then with MCU or did you hang up more in the comics? I fully started with MCU. Like I knew what the comics were and I'd looked at them, but at that point I didn't even know what the MCU was and that seems like an easier place to start. So I think right before, days before AOU came out, I watched the original Avengers film and Iron Man. I just marathoned everything watched AOU and just came out and went, yep, this is where I'm stuck for a while. And it wasn't until, I think, it was 2018 I got into the comics because the 616 server had popped up for a while and I'd been in there since that sort of started. And I went, oh, I want to read comics. And then I tried and they're hard. You don't know where anything's going. And uh, from after that, I went, oh, I'll read The Ultimates. That'll be, that'll be easy. And then I just didn't go back to 616. I just stuck there. I was like, nope, this is where I'm staying. I like this. And now you're alt, and I think, remind me, Ferret mentioned that you mod over there as well in the alt server? I do. So it was about, it was during 2018, I realized every conversation I started in the 616 server led to alts. And I got a little mm -hmm. bit self-conscious about it because I was like, oh, 
people don't want to talk about this all the time. And Farrah went, we'll just make a server. And I went, I don't know. And so she made the server for me and added me as a mod. And I just kind of stuck with it. I really like the little space we've built down there. It's really fun. And, you know, people come in knowing what they're going to get into. So it's quiet, but it's, it's really got a nice atmosphere. That's nice. I think that that's especially in some of the, because there is a much lower barrier to entry in the movies. The yeah. vibe in a movie server is going to be a lot different than, because yeah, like you said, the comics are overwhelming and um, we're going to have you back at a later episode and we're going to talk a little bit more about alts because I am very overwhelmed by the comics and I can't wait for you guys to kind of guide me through things. But before we get off on that tangent, I would love to talk to you about being an artist because I cannot even draw stick figures. So my first question is about the process of, of inspiration. So writers are constantly whining about how many plot bunnies we have. Is that something that y'all whine about as well? Oh, definitely. And I should mention I am on a much lower level a writer as well. So Oh, I apologize. That's my fault. No, it's all right. I, I don't write much. And most of it I do with co-workers. I cling to ferret desperately because I'm not a strong writer. It takes me a long time. But when you have plot bunnies for writing and fix, you just end up sitting there going, oh, what do I make art? What do I make this? What do I make that? And oh, you yeah, end up just having to go, do I want to spend two weeks on this? Or do I want to spend two days on this? And is this a more visual idea? Is this an idea that I need to describe so everybody knows what I'm thinking and also do I want to work with someone else because art I can do on my own but writing often needs someone to pat me on the back as I go interesting and then so for the for the process of like do I want to tell it visually or with words are there times where you've made a decision and then gotten a little bit in and been like no scrap that we're, we're starting something else I mean often things will start as visual ideas and then I can pick them up as a fix my the biggest fit me and ferret wrote together is in trouble deep and that started as doodles written for a friend and then i showed the doodles to ferret and just managed to grab her with it thankfully so sometimes things start visually and evolve into fit sometimes things will start as a fit and i go no i don't have, i don't know how to tell this cool let's make it a drawing Okay. And is drawing the main medium that you use? Do you have a tablet? Do you do it on paper? Like on paper? I have a lovely little digital tablet and I'm fully addicted to it. I definitely, I started on paper, but digital's faster and it's easier. Control Z is a beautiful thing. And so yeah. it's, I just stuck with it. And I'll get back to that in a minute, but I know something that our listeners might not know, and I want to make sure they do. So you are in art school, that's correct? I am. I'm at university mm -hmm. at the moment. That's amazing. So we're going to return to that. But before I forget to ask this, because this was something when I mentioned to people that I was talking to a fan artist, a lot of people asked me to ask you about the etiquette around reblogging and reposting. Because especially for fandom newbies, that navigation can get a little confusing people might not even know the difference between the two so would you mind unpacking that a little bit yeah i think especially i think especially young people i've noticed struggle with it and that's understandable it's a, a very sort of the internet age is very new i reposted and when i was you know quite young and so it's a weird etiquette to get down but generally the rule of thumb is Reblogs are amazing. Reblogs are the best things in the world. I read every single one 
that I get. I have my Tumblr set up. And even if there's not tags there, I will check every one because they're your most direct form of feedback when you're a Tumblr or Twitter artist. You don't, we're not like AO3. We don't have a comment section. And though there are ways to leave comments, people don't do it because it's not a common way of thinking about art, but it, art gets lonely. Like you're working on your own, you put something out and you just sit there and you go, is it getting points? Am I doing anything? Has anybody seen this? And reblogs are your sort of main way of communication. I've got folders full of tags people have left me because when you're down, they're the best things in the world. So reblogs are amazing because also you're not removing credit from the artist. It's very easy to find your way back. And that's why reposts are a little bit controversial. Some big artists like them and it's completely understandable because reposts can be a way for you to reach a new audience if you're really big. But when you're little, and most fandom artists are, can be big in fandom, but aren't big outside of it, they can just take views away from you. And it's awful. Like I've posted work and you kind of hope it won't get famous because if it gets famous, it'll get picked up by some whatever age person on Instagram and they'll put it on their dedicated Steve Coney page. And it's a long other work and that's great, but they will get triple what you've done. And it's hours and hours of work to sit down and you get 300 points on yours and they'll get 3000 on theirs. And so you just kind of have to sit back and go, oh, well, and then underneath they'll write credit to the artist or credit unknown. And that's not enough because nobody can find you. And even when they do put your name, they don't provide links. They don't provide sources. So people will look at it and go, I could go follow that. But most people won't. They click like and they move on. We understand how easy it is to have things nice and curated and put in front of you. But you're taking away from artists. And it's a brutal game. It takes full legal forms to get things taken away when, you know, they'll just go straight back to posting immediately afterwards. You can send in three DMCA forms and come back and look and they've posted two more and so it's just kind of like exhausting yeah now in terms of reblogs and the comments and things like that i know artists are like we're kind of like if you don't know what else to say even just an emoji is great or yeah. like a, i loved this is fine i would it sounds like that would be the same for you anything i mean the best stuff i get is just keyboard spam yes keyboard spam because it's the universal language that you don't know how to feel and that's great for me because it means I do know how you feel and that you feel overwhelmed. And that's the best thing I can get out of it is that you like what I'm doing. Keyboard spam is the greatest. And even if it's just, this is great. Just one little line of tag going, I liked this. It's, you know, it sticks with you because it's just a little bit of communication. Yeah. And speaking of communication, and then we talk, you talked a little bit about collabing. What about commissions? How do you work and feel about those? I don't do many commissions, mostly because university is just so big. But they're a little, I love them, but they're hard because you are communicating with a new person every time and every interaction will be different and every commission will be different. People can be really excited to commission artists but get a completely different response each time. Some artists are really happy to take your one line and move with it. But if you sit down with me, and Ferret can attest to this, if you will give me the colour of the shirts they're wearing, I'll ask you because I want to make you happy. You're paying me. So they're fun, but they are stressful. And there's a lot of, again, etiquette's really hard when it comes to commissions because it's not something most of us are taught, you know. And so artists can get quite easily harassed. I've luckily not had to deal with this, but a lot of my friends get harassed about their prices being too high. Are you and kidding? That, Fan artist yeah. prices are too low. 
Exactly. Like, oh my gosh. Oh, your price is too high because you're charging £30 for something I, you know, charge 10 for. They're doing that because they've seen other people charge 10 for. And, you know, fair be it to that other person, but some people are making this their livelihood. People are charging under minimum wage for their work. I charge under minimum wage for my work because you feel too bad charging what, you know, the wage should be. But also you want people, it's a competitive but weird market and people get really hostile about it. Hmm. I'm, I wish I was surprised. Um, but humans are super fun that way. And, uh, you know, a lot of us in fandom are really under-resourced. And so it feels, it feels prohibitive. Even if you want that piece of art, I can understand the frustration, but taking it out on the artist is never appropriate. Yeah. But they, they are, a lot of the response people get is, well, aren't you doing this for fun? It's like, yeah, it's fun when I do it. But your piece of work, no matter how much I may be invested with it, in it, and I may think it's something I'm really excited about, it's work. It's always going to be harder than the thing I make for myself because I can put the thing I make for myself down and go somewhere else. So mm. be patient with your artists. I know you're frustrated, but just keep open communication. And artists can suck as well. Like, we're, we're not perfect. That's a shocking piece of information. I, you know, I'm kidding. Um, kind of the, so when I was a baby in fandom, I was told that one of the, if you don't want to commission something, but you have an idea, one of the kind of happy mediums is to be in a bang or any sort of another kind of collaborative event. And that's a way to work with an artist, but also the artist has also chosen, you know, your P your summary. I'm exclusively a writer. I've started to make mood boards, but I'll never be an artist. And so that's kind of my way to maybe get some visual representation for a story is to do a bang. What, what's been your experience on that front? Bangs are the best way without pay to get to work with an artist. It's, it's a little bit like organized friend meeting. You get to work on something, but it didn't cost any pay and they're having fun too. And I've really enjoyed the bangs and events I've done. I've done, you know, not too many, but quite a few. And they're all really fun. You're often working with people that are great. But I've also had them not go great. Like, I've never not finished one. But sometimes event, I, I understand the sort of how events can be really stressful for people to run. And you have got to keep things organised. And we understand that. But I've definitely been treated in events like this is something I'm supposed to be doing and putting above other things. And when you're a student or just trying to put your life in front, I've had some mean responses where they go, no, you can't have another exception. And we go, well, you know, then we're not going to finish. And they go, cool, that's fine. It's, you know, it's an event. You don't have to be that mean to people. People have stuff going on and fandom, as much as I'd love it to come first, doesn't get to come first. I, during Stony Love Steve last year, I had a great time, but I was dealing with a very serious medical issue at the time and I worked through it sitting at my desk in pain to get the work out and I look back now and I go oh god we should have just quit I should have just quit and gone to bed but you feel so stressed out and pressured so bangs are great but make sure you've got the time for them yeah I mean even as writers listening to this uh this that's the, that would be my same answer too so speaking of timing though I understand. I know writing is different for everyone in the conversations I've had with fan artists, the process of creating is different for everyone. I think that's probably universal. Um, but then I also hear people talking about things like it's really important to use references and, uh, and kind of some of the nitty gritty things of that. Do you use references? Do they help things go faster? Are they something that you don't engage with at all? Kind of what's the deal with that? I definitely grew up with that sort of 
idea that tracing and referencing was an absolute sin and nobody should ever do it you should learn to draw from your heart but no nobody works like that nobody expects you to just you don't know what a bucket looks like it's not a crime to go and find a picture of a bucket to draw it i think you know there's a line don't trace other people's work and claim it's your own but i use references constantly i have 3d posing apps i use for lighting which means i get lighting done in a day not a week i google poses to make sure actual human bodies can do them because we've all made that mistake we've all drawn eight foot arms and i just i love them for everything even for shirts i'm not a very good fashion designer so i google shirts and i stick them on and people go oh that's hilarious and i go yeah you can go buy it go buy it it's great that's fantastic i love that because I use references for clothes in my fic because I would just put everybody in like jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, that's all I did for ages. It was jeans, t-shirts, or Tony lived in a suit and tie for so long. And that was so bad. I think I have Steve and Bucky in like t-shirts and sweatpants all the time. Cause in my life, that's what they live in my brain. That's what they pretty much live in until I put them in a tux. I mean, that's what I live in until I have to go outside. So I don't really blame you on that one. No, no. I mean, and Bucky's like, his arm hurts all the time. Poor boy. Poor boy. Give him some soft <laughs> clothes. Um, I digress. So we talked a little <laughs> about commissions and then about art school. And this is kind of where we're talking, we get the intersection of commerce and fandom and professionalism. And so I'm wondering, obviously being drawing for class and drawing for fandom are different entities. Can you articulate in, in a way how? Well, so the best way I can explain it is when you're drawing for fandom, you are creating the most hedonistic work you can. It's anything my brain comes to and I get to do what I want because it's my free time and it's my art. And I, you know, I used to draw for a way that I thought would please people. And then I just got to a point where I was like, now nah, I'm going to draw them doing this because I want to. But art school isn't like that. Art school is, it's a bit like taking commissions really often, but you don't get paid. <laughs> you get graded, which is, you know, not as good as money. And so my art school work is miles apart from my fandom work. Like you can look at my art school work and it looks nothing like my fandom work. Because with fandom work, I do what's easiest. And, you know, I could push myself, but I don't want to. I'm having fun. With artwork, you are, I'm paying to be there. So I have to make sure I push myself to the hardest degree I can. And, you know, as much as art degrees are really jokes on TV, they're really hard. Like, don't joke around with art degrees. I understand STEM degrees are a lot, are, you know, a lot. But art degrees are, you don't get a break. You are working constantly and forever. And even if you're, you know, you've allotted yourself time to go have a break, you're still thinking about it. Because creative ideas don't tend to fit into hour-long time blocks. So it's... It's a lot harder. You're often doing something to a prompt, which is fun sometimes. And sometimes you're just doing something you don't want to do, but you've got five weeks of it. So you've got to make, find a way to make it fun. And then once a week, you get to sit in a room with, you know, 10 to 30 other people and they tell you what's wrong with it in a nice way. And sometimes not in a nice way, because that's what art school is. It's learning to be better. But it's why I, I can't stand fandom unsolicited crit. I've gotten it and every time I'm like, go away, I'm doing this for fun, I don't care. <laughs> I don't have to be good for you. Yeah, you are not grading me or providing me with any sort of money. So neither one of the commerces that I need to live in do you exist in, go away. Exactly. Like yeah. notably, we, I've once received a comment on a fic where we were accused of being homophobic because we didn't do a certain thing. And the response was, no, we didn't do that certain thing because I don't like it, so go away. 
you know, I was nice about it, but I'm not doing things for you. And unless you pay me, I'm not going to do that thing for you. And also you'll find out if you try to pay me to do that thing, I probably won't do that thing for you. Because, you know, as much as commissions are paid work, it's also, I'm only going to take paid work that I will probably enjoy or it's never going to get finished. Yeah. That level of, I think self-awareness and honesty is really important, not only in fandom, but in life. I'm really glad you're confident enough in your passion and your talent to be able to say that to strangers. I think that's really admirable. I think, you know, everybody feels safer through the sort of isolation of a screen and it can work in good and bad ways. You know, if you want to bad mouth me, I can tell you to fuck off back and you don't, can't do anything about it. So have fun. <laughs> so that, um, that is fair. So speaking of things where we're hopefully not telling people to fuck off, thank you for this transition. Now is a time I'd love to know some recs. So like I mentioned offline, um, I would love to also get maybe some art recs from you as well as some thick recs if you've got them. So hopefully you've got those prepared for me, question mark. I definitely do. So Yay. to lead with the two thick recs, because they're, they're short ones. I, I thought about including long ones, but I think long ones get, sort of more publicity whereas short fix is a little more and one fic I come back to constantly is a fic called Simple Joys by That Sweet Mystery of Life. It's short and it's cute and it's about sort of life after the ultimates and it's Steve and it's Tony and their kid and it's just like toothachingly sweet but I can never stop reading it ever. And then there's another fic called that will never come again. And it's by a, a dear friend of mine, S. Haler, or he goes by Red now. And it's only got 54 kudos, but it's it's incredible. It's sad and he's very good at sad fics. And he hates that I don't let him write them more, but it's just so good and it needs reading, even if it's it's got some scary tags, but I don't think any of them are quite as bad as they come off because we tend to over tag, you know, it's safer and let people make the choices they want, but I promise you it's a really lovely fic to read. Well, certainly if it has 54 kudos, it's time for all of us to go and give it some more love. So I'm really glad that you've brought it to our attention. Are they both alts fics then? They are both alts fics. I thought about including sort of fics from other universities, but they are my favorites and I can't lie about that. No, we want, we, we want your favorites. I'm just curious as to why I hadn't come across them before. And the answer is I haven't explored alts a whole lot. So I'll have to be able to do that. And then what artists should we be following on tumblr or twitter or wherever we follow them so it was so hard to pull out two for this because i've got hundreds of favorites and some of them are my friends and i'd love to sit there and sort of praise them forever but the two i wanted to come down for the people to look at more where there's an artist called hundred thousands on tumblr and they just create some of the most artistically beautiful steve tony work i've ever seen it's paintings and colors uh, their colours are so vibrant, but it's in a, it's less cartoony the way a lot of us draw, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's way, the way I like to draw, but sometimes it's nice to see something a little bit more, like going back to your artistic roots of just gorgeous levels of work. And so I highly recommend going and looking at theirs. And then the other one is called, and I can't pronounce this name because I've never had to say it out loud, but um, Banamear or Mero, or they're on Twitter, they're on Tumblr, they're on just about anything. And they pump out work so fast and it's all so good. You kind of wonder what's going on. It's, <laughs> and it's across every universe I can think of, which is one thing I really appreciate. A lot of universes get a little bit more representation than other ones. And that's fine. I draw certain things a certain way because I don't care. And I want to draw what I want. 
but they consistently draw just a little bit of everything and that's wonderful that's good to hear i'm really glad ferret and i both love ht's work it's utterly breathtaking but i haven't come across um banamarts yet so i'm going to make sure to do that as soon as we get off our conversation which speaking of that's all my questions do you have anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we say goodbye um give the ultimates a chance i know i'm going to get to talk about this more in the later episode or later on but give the ultimates a chance it's not everybody's cup of tea but it's really fun and we need poor people in the service so i can talk about it more well with that kind of invitation how could any of us turn it down so <laughs> Sap, thanks so much for coming and chatting with us about art Thank you for inviting me. It was really fun. In today's Creator Corner, we wanted to take a step back from some of the specifics of writing and talk about the basics of why and how humans tell stories. So I'll be covering a little bit more of the why, and then Farrah will cover a little bit more of the how, even though we both overlap with each other. I'm sure it doesn't come as a surprise to anyone that humans are story-based creatures. Stories are how we learn who we are and who we belong to and why we exist. We pass wisdom to the next generation through stories and we build belief systems around stories. Now when I say stories, we don't necessarily mean fiction or myth. How we communicate truth and facts are also through stories. And you probably know this better if you think back to when you were potentially in school and you understood the history of your country better when it was a story about it rather than a list of dates. This is the same principle. For as long as there have been humans, there have been stories. That's as simple as it gets. For many, many millennia, we were basically oral storytellers. Even if someone in the tribe was literate at some point along the way, the majority weren't. And so storytellers were incredibly valued. Religious officials, as religions became codified and structured, served the same purpose. And Farrett will get into the technological developments more in a minute that moved us from oral to writing. But my role in this podcast is to be meta and kind of schmoopy and sociological. So allow me to do that. History isn't static. It's not something that happened once and then never happens again. History is shaped and reshaped every time a piece of it is retold in a story. You can tell a lot about a culture by the myths they embrace and how they tell and retell their history. And you can tell a lot about the fragments of a culture in the same way. For example, outside of fandom, let me just take a bigger example for a minute. Part of my expertise is the academic study of Christianity. There is one set text as canonical Christian scriptures. We understand kind of this book. Even within that, there's debate over what books should be included and the Catholic Apocrypha and blah, 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 blah. So even within that, we have how stories exist, tell a lot about people. But anyway, how someone views those scriptures and talks about them and tells stories about them can tell you a whole lot about what they believe. Do they say that the full canon came straight from God's mouth and directly onto paper? Do they talk about the Council of Nicaea who picked the 66 books and rejected others? Do they talk about cultural evolution or do they talk about inerrancy? 
each community of faith tells their own story about these scriptures. And that helps shape and form their values, behaviors, words, and actions of that particular community. In fandom, we have a similar phenomenon. How we talk about civil war, for example, communicates a whole lot about what we feel about these characters. How you talk about your ship or how we talk about the tropes in each ship that we perpetuate as fanon. These are the stories that we surround ourselves with and the stories that we as fandom use to communicate our values. So what are the values of Marvel fandom? Well, in my one year that I've been around it, I'd posit that we value teamwork even against impossible odds, and the idea of misfits making family. We value right, even when it's messy, and recovery from trauma, even when it's hard. So now that we've covered a little bit of what storytelling does, what it means, how it communicates, creates, affirms values, I'm gonna turn it over to Ferret to explain how. So I have in the past and will continue to put on my grammar must lid hat and talk about things like commas, apostrophes, and spelling. But before we get into that in detail, I wanted to talk about the concept of writing, about writing systems, and what it means to write stuff down. First of all, it's really important to engage with the difference between writing and language. Language is an inherent part of our humanness. It's built into our brains. Babies are born as language sponges. It's not something we need to actively learn or study. It's something we absorb. And you might be saying, but Ferret, I'm trying to study a second language and it's awful. And I will tell you that there's something called neuroplasticity. It declines as you get older. And one of the first things you lose is language plasticity. That usually happens around age 12. So if you're trying to learn a language now and you're older than 12, which I would hope you would be if you're listening to this, then yes, it could be hard. But when you were three, you picked all this up extremely easily. So we have had language far longer than we've had school. In fact, we believe that human language is well over 100,000 years old. It is built into us as using tools or cooking food. We have entire areas of our brain expressly devoted to processing language. And the difference between language and communication is one of the primary things that makes us human. And when humans are put into situations where they don't share a language, they invent new ones and fast. A pigeon is a grammatically simplified language that develops when two language groups collide and need to find a way to communicate. In as little as one more generation, that pigeon that lacks grammatical structure can turn into a creole, which has grammatical structure. And that's not through any actual effort on the speaker's parts. It's not because that's been decided by a council or taught in school. It's just the way our brains work. The second generation takes the sketched out framework and fills in the details naturally. We fill in the building blocks, we make rules, we define the boundaries of syntax. Additionally, languages are always changing, dramatically, constantly, fluidly, and endlessly. Every language contains dialects, which are versions of that language spoken by subgroups of people, and those subgroups get smaller and smaller, all the way down to idiolects, which are the exact ways that individual people talk. And all of this is constantly in motion. I sure as shit didn't have yeet in my vocabulary 10 years ago, but you better fucking believe it is now. Words die off, they change meaning, expanding, contracting, or hopping entirely. They are born and reborn, and the structural rules change too. This is why it might be hard for you to read Shakespeare or Austin or even Conan Doyle. English has changed a lot, even in the past 150, 10 years. You don't talk like your parents. So why is this important for telling stories? 
Well, it brings us back to writing. And a critical factor to understand here is that writing is not language. Writing is not inherent. Writing is not something that we evolved to do. It's not built into our brains. And there are many, many cultures of humans who have rich, complex spoken languages and no writing system whatsoever. Crucially, writing is technology and language is not. There's some debate about exactly when and where writing was invented for the first time, but it's largely settled upon that writing was invented only four times. Once in Egypt, once in China, once in Mesopotamia, and once in Mesoamerica. The Mesoamerican script died out and didn't spread, so we can't read it and we don't really know much about it. There's some debate if the Mesopotamian and the Egyptian inventions influenced one another, but there's pretty clear consensus that China must have invented writing on their own as well. So I said human language was over 100,000 years old. Writing is only about 5,000 years old. So we were talking to each other, developing languages, splitting into language groups, and telling stories for well over 90,000 years before we started writing it down. There was proto-writing, like noting down amounts of things, numbers, and using pictures to tell simple stories, but a true writing system didn't come into play until then. The writing system we English speakers use now, the Roman alphabet, came from those first Egyptian writers, went through many, many, many changes, and became what we use today. And there are tons of writing systems that branched off of those first three inventions in many different and amazing ways, which is why we have so many more than three writing systems now, but also why you can so easily trace their origins back to one of those three. So why does this matter for writing fanfic? Well, for a few reasons. The first and probably most important is to recognize that literacy is not inherent. It's learned. It must be taught. It cannot be absorbed. It's a privilege and part of education whereas language is part of the near universal human experience. Learning to write and read is hard work. It can only be learned by rote memorization. If you take a three-year-old child from Switzerland and put them in China, they'll pick up Chinese as a native tongue. But no matter how many books you hand a kid, they're never going to pick up writing on their own. Language can be learned through immersion, writing cannot. It's as much technology as roads and smartphones are. It's something we as people invented as a tool to make communicating easier, just like we invented phones and ballpoint pens. I should add a small disclaimer here that the innateness of language hypothesis is a much broader conversation than I've been able to fit into the context and time restraints of the podcast, but it's really interesting. And if this grabs you, you should definitely do more research. And if it's something you want to know more about, you can hit me up in the Discord chat as well. Mostly the point of this conversation is to show the difference between how inherent language is and how inherent writing is. But the specifics of that, how inherent it is, what constitutes learning, is a broad, challenging, interesting, fascinating, many, many, many years old conversation that if that sounds like something that interests you, you should definitely dive into. But moving on. The other crucial aspect of this knowledge for you is that writing, unlike language, rarely evolves. Unless a group actively decides to participate in spelling reform, and there are a few countries who do, but it's not common. The spelling of words does not change at the rate with which our pronunciation changes. If you find English spelling insane, it's because English has gone through some massive changes in pronunciation, and we've borrowed so many words from other languages that share our writing system, and therefore we've stolen the writing too, that it's a total mishmash. Likely the biggest changes in writing that we've seen in hundreds of years have been caused by the internet, which is fascinating, and I almost did a thesis on lolcat speak, but that's a topic for another day. But adding on to that, punctuation is a tool as well. 
Again, it's invented, not inherent. And the goal of punctuation is to add extra information to make the meaning behind what is being written even clearer. The Greeks actually invented punctuation to make reading unfamiliar texts out loud easier. And even that was a bit of a fight to establish. They didn't even used to be spaces between words. You had to learn texts carefully before you tried to perform them. So they thought, hey, let's add some dots at least to split things up. But then when the Romans swanned in, they did away with that. It was a skill to be able to read a piece, study it, understand it, and then read it out loud. Cicero was quoted saying that the end of a sentence ought to be determined not by the speaker's pausing for breath or by a stroke interposed by a copyist, but by the constraint of the rhythm. So that's not that long ago that they were arguing whether to put spaces between words, whether to mark the end of a sentence at all. And then, ta-da, it was Christianity that brought punctuation back, and it's pretty much stuck around in our writing since then. So fundamentally, when we talk about writing language down, spelling and punctuation primarily, know that this is new technology in the grand scheme of things, and it's stationary and stagnant, lolcat speak and emojis notwithstanding, in a way that language is not. It's an incomplete attempt to communicate our spoken language. And when we write stuff down, we're just doing the best we can. So think about the way you write as using a tool, especially when it comes to punctuation. We have rules and structures because these are totally arbitrary marks that are not actually connected to a meaning, that we have assigned meaning to to communicate with. Learning spelling and punctuation not only helps you get your ideas across with the fewest barriers possible, but it also gives you the power to abuse those rules in creative ways to expand your artistic power. But also be forgiving with yourself. Literacy, as I said, is a learned skill, and it's very arbitrary, and it's very challenging. It's also something where you're not at all supported by any inherent language abilities. We're built to find grammar and structure in language. Most rules of your spoken native languages about, say, dependent clauses or how you can use adverbs are learned by absorption, not by practice. But everything about writing is by rote. I wanted to start talking about SPAG, which stands for Spelling, Punctuation, and Grammar on this pod by establishing this stuff first and giving everyone some context for understanding the tools they're using to tell their stories. As we move on, and I put my grammar musclet hat on more to dive into specifics like semicolons and Latin roots, you can have this knowledge in your back pocket at all times to give you context and also so you can give yourself a bit of mercy when these things are hard. Learning and writing and reading, those are deep, deep privileges like Ferret mentioned earlier. I have the privilege within my offline work to travel to a lot of parts of the world where reading and writing is not a cultural priority and is generally out of reach for a lot of people within that community. And it is a great reminder to me to never ever take written words for granted. And as so many of you in this beautiful fandom write and read in multiple languages, which <laughs> blows my damn mind, Remember to give yourself the grace that Ferret encouraged you to do. We have things like beta readers and a community where we learn to write together in order so that the stories, these ways that you construct meaning, the way that we all construct meaning can be communicated clearly. But it's, an, it's a fallible system and we all kind of make it work together. If you want to talk about this more, please make sure to join us on the Discord server where either we're fair at the grammar mustelid would love to have more conversations with you about technology. <laughs> and I, Professor Flame of Schmoopy Sociology, would love to talk to you more about what stories mean. We can't wait to see you there.
today on Community Talks, we're going to start by talking about a poll that we ran over on our Twitter about art styles. Yeah, so I know nothing about art, as you <laughs> may have gleaned from my conversation with Sap. And Farrah and I were both curious about which major creation methods that artists use the most. Are they more prone to digital these days or are they more prone to physical? Cause Sap kind of talked about that. So ran it over on the Twitter and we had 64% of people saying that they preferred digital versus the 36% that preferred physical. And I will say, and this could totally show uh, maybe my bias or who I'm following on Tumblr, but I was surprised that the 36% was as high as it was. Yeah. I mean, part of it might be that we mostly see digital art just because it's easier to share digitally, but that a lot of people are making physical art and not sharing it as much, but they still see it sort of as their primary form. But I can definitely, definitely see the appeal of digital art. Um, so I think Sat mentioned this in the interview too, the control Z is sort of hard to, uh, to go back without once you're used to it, being able to undo things and erase things without risking the rest of the piece is pretty powerful. Yeah, Stark Snack on Twitter said, erasers just really suck. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that's honestly like thinking about typing on a typewriter and using whiteout versus having a computer. Oh God, yeah, I, I used to use a typewriter sometimes and it's hell. Yeah, I did as well. My mother was an administrative assistant in the 70s at a big publishing house in New York. Mm -hmm. And she taught me how to type on a typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> I had a question for you though, when thinking about bigger events like Marvel Trump's hate or some of the kind of longer term stuff that you've been involved in, mm -hmm. have you seen people participate in those artists, participate in those using physical art and then they scan it? Or are you seeing in those as well, are you seeing mostly completely digital creations? No, actually, uh, Marvel Trump's hate's really broad. We get some really cool stuff, but we also uh, include the option to mail something physically. So um, I actually see quite a few physical artists that create something and then and then mail the print to somebody's house so they can hang it up. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah, and we also see a whole bunch of other like physical artists in the form of crafters. So I won an amazing um, Avengers mug from Robin and she sculpted and, and fired that herself and glazed it. Um, and there are knitted projects. You can get like little crocheted dolls. And I think this year I might auction off some knitted gloves. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the most amazing range, I think. MTH thrills me every year because it's so cool seeing what people offer. But there is actually a fair amount of physical art, yeah. That's really exciting. I uh, bid very high on some tentacle statues. Oh, Atoria's tentacle statues, yeah. And was very aggressively outbid, and I'm still kind of salty about it. Those were well coveted. I mean, they're gorgeous, so. They're gorgeous, and I mean, there's tentacles. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what I can do to make those happen again this year. <laughs> Ooh, but I love it. And I love the idea of physical art being both artifacts in like terms of crafting, but also in terms of like 2D creations and things like that. It's just so, again, I'm in, anyone who can create things is a magician in my yeah, mind. Yeah, so. it's broad. And I mean, when I was in school, I did study art a little bit and it was all physical at that point, like... They were barely inventing Wacom tablets at the time. And 
So I learned with pencil and paper and I learned watercolors and pastels and stuff like that. And I've only picked up, I mean, I'm, I'm not much of an artist, but I really like coloring things. So I, I borrow other people's line art and I <laughs> color it. So the, the, the Steve Tony coloring book project was like very major for me, but I've been completely converted. Like I just love the freedom and the precision of using um, digital, of, of doing digital art. And I just, yeah, I think it's also really great if you're learning because mostly because of that, <laughs> that eraser, it makes it easier to say, I'm just going to try this and see what happens. So like, I'm trying to learn how to do cell shading better and, you know, I can just keep trying it. I can just keep trying different things and see how it looks and then just erase it. And I don't have to worry about ruining my piece. So that makes complete sense. I'm very intimidated to try drawing or anything to do with it. But if I was going to, it would certainly, I would want the low barrier to resource wasting that comes yeah. with digital for sure. I, I think that coloring is actually like, because the, the process of like producing a piece of art is usually like sketch, line, flat colors, details, you know and um, shading highlights. However, however people play the end is a little bit different, but like usually go mostly in that order. You layer it up to be more and more details. Um, but I actually think that like coloring is a great place to start because it starts, it starts giving you an aesthetic sense and a concept of how things are shaped and how you can use color and, and shading and stuff to change the way things appear to be shaped and also teaches you some of the tools you can use with digital software. So if you're learning to use Photoshop or GIMP or um, I use Sketch, uh, Autodesk Sketch, Autodesk Sketch Pad, something like that. I'll figure it out and put it in the show notes on my tablet. Um, I use GIMP on my computer, but it doesn't work on tablets. So I use Autodesk on my tablet. And so coloring gives you a chance to like practice those tools and figure out how layers work and, and stuff like that. And then, but then at the end of the day, if you started with line art you already liked, then even if you're quite new to the coloring part or new to art in general, you still generally end up with something that you mostly like because it, you liked it when you started. So it's kind of hard to ruin it. Um, and adding colors generally makes it more exciting. So I, f I feel like maybe people who, who want to get into digital art, check out the, the coloring book and take some of those, take your favorite piece from that and give that a go because... I think that might be an easier entry point for some people. And this is a great time to mention that if you are looking to get into digital art, we've put together a resource list specifically with thanks to our two mods, Kukuria and Marie, for digital art in terms of like manipulation and graphic design and digital art in terms of drawing. And that is in the show notes and permanently on our site. And if you are an artist listening to this, and you see that list and you're like, oh my God, they're missing the most important thing of my life. Probably we are because there's a million resources and we are but a small but dedicated podcast staff. Please make sure to get in touch and so that we can add to your list because one of the things we consistently heard from artists, not just sap in some offline conversations, but from some other people, is that there is not really kind of a, a good clearinghouse of here's all the best resources kind of organized. And we have no idea if we're the right place to do it, but we have website space. And so we're going to try. And we we'd love to be that, that clearinghouse for you 
in terms of resources for art just as much as we're trying to be for writing and other forms of creation. So changing tack a little bit, um, because we did do one other sort of conversation starter this week, and I think the results were really fun. Um, <laughs> we went out and asked people which Disney character they thought, first Steve we asked, and then we asked Tony later, uh, which Disney character they thought fit them best. The most popular answer for Steve was Hercules. Yeah, I feel it. Which then, when we get to Tony in a minute, there was a lot of people that said Meg. So. Yeah. Uh, which was fun because for anyone who got a chance to listen to episode five, Blade's uh, recommendation was a Hercules AU. Yes, everyone should go back and enjoy that if they didn't have a chance already. So that was great. And in fact, Summer Pipe Dream on our Tumblr says, I'd say that Steve emulates Hercules. Stubborn, hardworking, loyal, always ready and willing to go the distance, cue the song, for his friends and family. They tried time and time again, failing many times, but eventually found friends and mentors in Erskine and Phil to help train them and take them from zero to hero with the help of some super soldier serum slash inherent Debbie God powers. <laughs> yeah. They both gained an adoring public, but still felt themselves wanting more. Yeah. I think it fits really well. I think it's an AU I'd love to see even more of. Yeah, that's a great one. We also got Arthur from Sword in the Stone. Yeah, that's good. From Retro Princess. Um, Retro Princess also mentioned Aladdin and Woody oh. from Toy Story. Yeah, interesting. Um, I feel like uh, Buzz is more of a Bucky than a Tony. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's a good, that's a good Stucky the, AU. The one arm and the amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a little on point there. <laughs> too, too much? <laughs> too no, soon? Too I, soon? <laughs> Now I really want that. I mean, maybe there is one. Um, I know that there's a lot of Stucky fix that have sort of missed my eyes. So guys, if you have a Toy Story Stucky AU, I want to read it. Yeah, uh, let me just throw, if you have a, a Toy Story Marvel AU. Yeah. Like you do this with Thorky, like rock on. I want everything. <laughs> that would be oh, hilarious. Uh, one other 100,000 said Mulan because of the army thing. And I'll be honest, I don't know the Mulan movie that well. So I don't even know it. Like, I don't know if the characters jive. There's like a fierceness, a sort of self-stubbornness to like not give up and make it happen no matter how hard it is. That's sort of at the core of Mulan's character that okay. I think does fit Steve well. Fascinating. Another big one on the Discord was a Zootopia AU with Steve as Judy Hopps. Yeah, that's like a newer one. So I hadn't thought of it, but... Yeah, that actually fits really well, I think. Yeah. Um, then the very, very popular Tony is, Cus uh, Tony is Cusco, Steve is Pasha, which we've already yeah. mentioned, but I'll say it again. Um, and then my personal thing for Stevie is I actually think he's quite a Belle-esque character. Yeah. Tell us why. Because he is stubborn as fuck. And so is she. He is dumb in that he will, not dumb. I'd say it's dumb because you'd martyr yourself, but like realistically, I'd probably do it too. So I'm just calling myself out on Maine here. It can be but, dumb in an affectionate way. <laughs> yeah, you're an idiot in a kind of affectionate way. Absolutely no questions about sacrificing self for others. Mm -hmm. A like a kind of belief in like, you know best and therefore you'll push boundaries. And also um, having no fear of like being yourself in the face of power. So yeah. I see them quite a lot together and also genuinely kind. 
Because I think that's one of Steve Rogers' things is that like two human beings who treat other people like human beings, he is kind. So yeah. Yeah, I've actually, for me. I do know one Beauty and the Beast Stony AU by Fluffy Panda. It's called it's Bound by Roses and it's still in progress, but Steve is Belle and Tony is the Beast. Yes, and I am trying very hard not to be that person whenever Panda talks about writing it on the server that like flails and drools and is like right faster. <laughs> that is how I feel. My favorite Beauty and the Beast AU while we're talking about, we'll use this to transition to Tony actually, because my favorite Beauty and the Beast AU is actually in Iron Frost. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I can see that for sure. Where Tony is Belle and Loki is the Beast. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I it, cannot like... remember the name of it, but I will put it in the show notes. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. So speaking of Tony, People have a lot of feelings about who Tony should be. And you, my have, darling, was feelings. one of them. You were consistent in your answer. Who would Tony be? Uh, well, even when asked who Steve would be, I merely answered who I thought Tony would be. Correct. But, I mean, I should preface this by saying that Shakespeare is one of my favorite writers and Lion King is one of my favorite movies of all time. And so, like, I mostly just want everything to be Lion King and or Hamlet. Like, it's just good. So, um, yeah, but I, but I think Tony makes a wonderful Simba. Because, yeah. like, betrayed by his uncle, forced into exile. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot there. I think that, like, it's one of those things where there's, there's like, the this, this, this story premise there supports a lot. Like, you could put a lot of little canon nods and stuff if you were going to do, like, a Lion King AU. But there's also, like, Simba's not that fleshed out of a character in the no, movie. <laughs> no, not really. So there's sort of a lot of space there as well to pour any anybody into him. Like, he's a very reactive character. And, and for some people, that means they don't like him because... I've, I've seen people say that they feel like he lacks like motivation or, or forward momentum. That's what he has Rafiki for. Rafiki, Rafiki motivates yeah. And it's not like Hamlet was real big on forward momentum. Hamlet was whiny. Need <laughs> <laughs> to throw that out there. So, uh, but yeah, also there's like, there's the story there with um, Simba sort of deciding that the easy life is the life he's going to choose, the one that doesn't involve challenging himself or his past or his relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And in the end, that isn't fulfilling enough. And he decides to stand up for what he knows is right, even though it's harder and even though it puts him in danger. And that's sort of like, that's a part of Iron Man 1 that I really love, that progression for Tony of deciding that taking the easiest path isn't what he's going to do anymore. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree because I actually wrote an Iron, uh, I mean, a Lion King AU. And this is why we're meant to be together. Uh-huh. So I did it as pepperoni because uh, I wanted the deep, deep angst. And I had Nat, Steve, and Bucky essentially in the Timon, Pumbaa, and Rafiki roles kind of Wonderful. all together. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, like, I don't think that Nala really fits Steve anyway. So no, that's probably no. the best way to play it. Yeah, it's, it was, yeah, and it was fun. It was one of those that I wrote to see if I could write a long form pepperoni, but also because the more I thought about Lion King, the more I was like, yeah, Tony is Simba. And then there's an argument that Peter is Simba too. And a lot of people made that after Far From Home came out. Um, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I haven't actually seen Far From Home yet. That's, you're allowed. It's okay. I'm not yeah, going to kick you why. off the pod. 
It just hasn't happened. It's like on the list. It came out when I, like we were flying to Ireland for Mr. Flame's sister's wedding. And we were going to be there on July 4th. And we were flying to stay with friends. Like we flew early and we were with some of our very best friends in Dublin who are also major fandom people. Like my engagement gift to them, to him, was a customized Stark Industries internship certificate I got off Etsy. Nice. And we are, I'm commissioning somebody to 3D printer him cap shield for his wedding. <gasps> Amazing. So like, these are our friends. And so they took July 4th off, um, which was the day we landed. And we all went to go see Far From Home in cinemas together in Dublin. That's so lovely. I, and we then spent the next like six hours at a pub dissecting every single element of it. <laughs> I think for me, it came out too soon after Endgame. That's totally fair. And so at the time I wasn't like, I hadn't finished experiencing Endgame yet. So I wasn't like ready to watch more. And then it was like, once it wasn't in theaters anymore, I was like, oh, I can watch that whenever. And then I, I didn't. It is a very intense follow-up to Endgame. Yeah, it felt very related. We'll put it that way. It is, it is, it is a, uh, to see one without the other, I mean, to see Far From Home without seeing Endgame is going to feel wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I went for Jake Gyllenhaal too, because I need to be honest, like he is just one of those actors that like, I will always want to see what he's going to do in something because he's yeah, such yeah. a crackerjack. So. He's, he's, he's chaotic energy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, we saw him, Soulmate and I saw him in Broadway. Wow, are we off top? Like we are our own Discord channel right now in terms of <laughs> topic hopping. Someone's going to uh, get the spray out. <laughs> someone's got the spray out. Um, we saw him live, him and Tom Sturridge do a play. Um, and it was insane. He did a one act, a 45 minute monologue and it was insane. That's amazing. I, I, I have one while we're on Jake Gyllenhaal, I will say that everybody should look for his skit that he did on Amy Schumer's show called, it's called something, something catfishing. Yes, and it's so good. <laughs> I, I've dropped it in a couple of discords, but um, we'll put it in the show notes too, just because it's like, He's not in it very much, but it's one of my favorite things that he's done, mostly because he waves a ferret around, which is brilliant, but I also just think it's super funny. If you've ever seen the show Catfish, it's a it's a pithy but very effective parody of Catfish. Oh, so. man. And there are a few better, like, poppy field shows. Like, you're laying on the couch on a Saturday afternoon and you don't want to move and there's a Catfish marathon on. That's I, a good one. I've only ever seen it at clients' houses because I do not have, like, TV and it's not on any of my streaming services. But some of my clients, I do overnight shifts at clients' houses sometimes, and they have, like, the craziest fucking channels. And I just love, like, looking around to see, like, what's happened to TV in the, like, 15 years I haven't had TV. Whew. Yeah. I saw I, the first and only episode of Catfish I ever saw was the end of year top 10 best of Catfish episode. Oh, my God. That's the best way to watch it, man. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Anyway. Anyway. Tony, did you have more for to Tony? Tony. So um, many people had things I've never seen. So for instance, Rowan Tree is me on Tumblr says Jim Hawkins from Treasure Planet. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've had, I think I have a B-Day prompt for Treasure Planet. And if I don't, I've definitely been prompted about it a couple of times before. So like, okay, so they are, they the say, people want Treasure Planet. Yeah. So it's a good uh, movie. Smart, adrenaline junkie, abandonment issues, homemade means of flying, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. betrayed by pseudo father figure, dangerous flying into Spoiler alert. shenanigans. Yeah, you should watch it. I think it's going to give you feelings. Oh, I don't need feelings. We're yeah, trying to avoid do. feelings. No, okay. No. We also got Mike Wazowski, which <laughs> fits. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Who's so, Boo? <laughs> um, we got The Beast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which, yeah. I, yeah. Um, and then um, Akuru, uh, oh, no, it's Akuru Akuru, I think. Guys, I'm, t- I'm a terrible person. I can't read. I'm tempted to say Eve from Wally, but Wally's such a hopeless romantic, it may actually be the other way around. Aw, that's but Eva and Wally. I know, but she's like the new technology, and Steve's like the old technology. So, like, it kind of depends on what level you engage. You like, you know. Yeah, and are there other people? Like, could 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 that be another ship? Yeah, like Tony as as Wally, who would be Eve? Would Eve be? I don't know. Like, does that fit with Iron Strange? I don't know that ship that well. Yeah, I don't know. That's one I'm going to have to sit and think about for a bit, because I've never tried to do, like, a Wally recasting. <laughs> no, so people tell us, especially non-Stony shippers, who still, for whom Tony is your bicycle. Or, like, here you go. Do Dummy as Wally, and then Steve's fancy new Stark phone as Eve. There's a new ship. I've just gifted it to the... You're welcome, universe. I'm rolling my eyes. Of course <laughs> you made it crack thick. I can yep. feel it. Um, yeah, so tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. We got Cusco, Timon, Dodger, or Oliver, because Tony would be an adorable kitten. Fair. Fear or disgust from inside out. I'm going to go with disgust. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't know if I see it as fear, but that's fine. And Steve's what sadness? And Steve, Steve is joy. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's sad, sad man. Um, okay, we can argue about that later. It's, see, this is the thing about Steve, is that he is both all the time. Yeah, it is true. So and when, we're talk, we, when we talk about on his birthday, we're going to talk about his un, like, that the fact that fandom is the only people that excavated his PTSD, and, <laughs> and Marvel chose not to. So, or at least the movies chose not to. I don't know comics. Um, but anyway, back to Tony. Then there's um, Gadget from Rescue Rangers, which is not a world I'm familiar with. Um, I'm a little bit, and yeah, I can see that. Okay, okay. I remember the Chippendale Rescue Rangers theme song and could sing it for you right now, but I don't remember Gadget. All right, folks, that's what our people had. What about you? What do you have? So we would love to hear from you and what you want. We would also love to read Disney AUs. So take this as your written invitation to create some for us. We also heard from other people in other places this past couple weeks. We got one comment on episode five that I wanted to read. Um, episode five was our one on alternate universes. This is from Tiarn. Sorry if I said that wrong. And they said, first episode of the podcast I've listened to. So good. I lulled up Blade of the Nebula's remark about walking into a cinema in 2012 and never leaving. Going to go back and check out the other episodes now. Well, it's, I, it's great to know that there's, this is a low barrier of entry entertainment experience in that you can pick up any episode and have a good time. We don't really chronologize anything. So it's good that people are sort of picking and choosing what they want to listen to and just, and going based on that. Cause I think that's a great way to get started on something. Yeah. And we have a hard enough time keeping the chronologies in our AU straight. Like <laughs> we should not be in charge of keeping a chronology of a podcast straight. No. But yeah. I also love that people are experiencing this at their own pace. Yeah, yeah. There's because, a like, lot of trickling in. Yeah, for instance, even though, like, episode five was the most recent, 
the last couple of weeks the, on the Discord server, there's been a lot more conversations about POV that we talked about in episode yeah, four. Yeah, that's been kind of an enduring conversation. So that's been really great. So if you're listening to this, and so we're recording this in spring of 2020. <laughs> if you're listening to this in December of 2020, please know that there are folks that want to still talk to you about POVs. I can almost guarantee you. Yeah, and hello from the future. Hello, Hello, future. From the past. Hello, future from the past. (laughs) We have questions for you. (laughs) We do. (laughs) That we shan't get answered. We shan't get answered. Speaking of the future. Oh. Upcoming. Our future very exciting Tony's birthday party. Oh my gosh, yes. We are in planning stages. We are. Things are trickling in. Some people are getting excited. We've had some stuff submitted. But we wanted to remind you how you can get involved if you haven't already. So there's a lot of ways. First of all, you can create a new creation that celebrates Tony and or his birthday. You can make a fic, you can draw either digitally or on paper. You can bake something. This has been suggested for that. Obviously we would probably need a picture of the baked good, but you can- I mean, or you know, you could mail it to us. us. Absolutely happy to provide our our mailing addresses. <laughs> just hit just hit us up. With your Tony cookies. The limits of your imagination are the limits of this party, basically. So if you create something new or if you have something on AO3, we've created an AO3 collection that we'll go ahead and put in the show notes for works that celebrate Tony's birthday in particular. Mm-hmm. Just because we have to narrow it somehow, guys. Mm-hmm. So much Tony love. So much. You can throw anything on Tumblr. Um, recently, we've gotten a couple rec lists for their for people's favorite Tony fix, and I think that is genius. That's great. Absolutely wonderful. So if you do that, you tag it with the hashtag, which is hashtag HBDTony2020. You can tag the servers Tumblr as well. That doubly makes sure that we're going to see it. You can do that on Twitter as well. You can also, let's say that you would like to explain in a longer form than a tweet or a discord message why you love Tony you can do this one of two ways you can record a voice memo that's about three to five minutes and email it to us and we'll play it on air or you can type it all out and email it to us and we or one of our very talented voice actors will read it for you make sure that if you are wanting to share a rec list or a fic or an art or a picture of your wonderful baked goods before you put them in a box and mail them to us, um, that you share that on social media somewhere so that we can reshare it because we want to be retweeting, reblogging, and sharing. If you only put something in the AO3 collection or if you email us a link to a fic, uh, we don't really have a way to share it very easily. So tag us, post it, reblog your old fix and tag us, whatever it takes, and we will find those. If you don't see us reblogging right away, don't worry, we're planning this well in advance, but the week of Tony's birthday is gonna be a huge party all week. So you'll start to see that stuff come out. Some people have asked us if they could create custom birthday cards and to that we say emphatically, yes. Yes, I would love to see like a mantle of birthday cards for Tony. Oh my gosh. People have asked us if we are cool with Tony ships outside of Stony, to which we say. All of them, yes. Please, please. yes. Thank you. Tony and Steve are both of our bicycles, basically. So we want them to be happy. 
Yep, and it can be Tony plus Steve plus other people. It can be Tony by himself. It can be Tony and his wonderful family, the Avengers, however you want to do it, as long as it's about loving Tony. Exactly. So that's it. Remember, Tony's birthday is May the 29th. We're going to open up his public birthday party on May the 24th. And between when you're listening to this and May the 24th, if you're listening ahead of time, go ahead and still send in all that stuff so that we have a lot of stuff that we can reblog. But if you wake up and you're and this you're listening to this on the 29th, don't worry, you've got time. Go ahead and just grab something in, tag us on Tumblr, and we'll make sure to reblog it. And if you want to get involved with fandom in other ways, then now's your chance because coming up next is our events forecast. Hi fandom, this is Only More Love, your interim forecaster back to tell you all about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you in our event forecast. A little note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com. All right, so now for the numerous fun events that are happening. The Cap IM Reverse Big Bang has entered its posting phase, so keep an eye on the com for master posts or on the collection to catch the latest collaborations going up and give our creator some love. What that means as well is that the com has officially entered the writing and submission phase of the Big Bang this time. You have months ahead of you as the final submission deadline is set for September 23rd, with artists claiming on September 26th. The minimum word count for submissions is 25,000 words. So get to your pens and keyboards, Stonies. The com has also announced a special Stony trivia quiz. Team signups open May 9th, with the quiz itself happening May 16th in the CAPIM Challenges Discord server. The CAPIM Comment Bingo Round 4 is open, and will go on until October 31st. And stay tuned for another surprise com announcement sometime tomorrow. The mods of the Marvel Blind Date event have launched signups and prompting. It's a fandom-wide event, which they describe as being halfway between a bang and prompt meme. Indeed, signups will be open all year, with the first prompts coming out at the beginning of June, and then new ones released every month. Writers and artists claim the ones they like and only begin working on them once a partner has claimed the same prompt they did. 10k minimum for writers, two pieces for artists. The artist signups for the Marvel Reverse Big Bang are also open until May 22nd. This bang is a free-for-all, all ships welcome, reverse bang, meaning artists come in first with art submissions due June 12th, and writers will claim the art they would like to create for on July 3rd. A fairy tale bingo was launched on Tumblr. There are no signups, no minimum requirements, and all creators are welcome, and for as long as they want as there are no deadlines either, and all fandoms are allowed. A new round of the Marvel Undercover Prompt Fest was announced earlier this week. The schedule is as follows. Prompting from May 11th to 24th, claiming from May 25th to June 28th, and posting will start on June 29th. This year's theme is music. 
the signups of the Band Together Bingo, an anti-censorship and multi-fandom event, have opened and will go on until May 23rd. This round will last until December 31st. The work-in-progress bang's author signups closed last night. Artists will be able to claim summaries June 17th, with posting starting August 15th. The prompts for the Pepperoni Week that will happen from June 20th to 26th have gone out. There are no minimum requirements to participate, and all creators are welcome. Exciting news as well is the Marvel Collab Cupid server, a server to find collab partners of all kinds outside of the constraints of a bang or other challenge. It was launched at the end of last month, and you can join by following the link in the show notes if that sounds like something you'd like. There's a brand new Marvel and Reader Fest exchange held on Tumblr, and signups are open until May 20th with works due July 25th. The Bucky Barnes Bingo is having late signups until May 22nd. Go snatch a card if you missed it the first time. And if you're more of an Iron Husbands or Steve Rohde shipper or just adore Rohde himself because he deserves it, don't forget that there will be a Rohde Appreciation Week running from May 24th to May 30th. The prompts are already out on the Tumblr. The Tony Stark Bingo, Cap IM Bingo, Cap IM Kink Meme, and Lights on Park Avenue are still open for participant signups and or contributions and the links to all these are still in the show notes of episode one. This has been your events forecast. Marie or I will see you next episode. Until then, happy shipping. Thanks, Only and Marie, and thanks to the rest of the Potscast staff for all their hard work. Thanks to Sap for chatting with me and to HT for the art. And as always, thanks to you all for your comments, questions, and engagement. This is your fandom podcast, and we want to make it the best it can be for you. Remember, you can comment on the website or get in touch across any of our socials. Keep sending Tony secrets and questions, and we'll see you soon for episode seven, Tony's birthday party. Yay! You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.